This is K.M. Wyland, and you are listening to the 523rd episode of the Helping Writers Become Authors podcast. This episode of Helping Writers Become Authors is brought to you in partnership with Podtone. If you're a podcaster who's struggling or unsure about your recording quality, or if you need help editing, mixing, or mastering your podcast, you can visit the team who works with me every week at podtone.com or drop them an email at info at podtone.com to get started today. So I'm in the final push before publishing writing your stories theme. Yay! Pretty much all I have left to do is finish the final proofreading of the paperback proof. For many reasons, not least the beginning of National Novel Writing Month in November, I'm very much wanting to get the book published this month. So I'm taking a break from my fiction for a bit to double down on this final push. Nothing's for sure for sure yet, but I'm hoping for next week for the book's release. If you're on my mailing list, you will, of course, be notified as soon as the book is out. And there will, of course, be the usual prize drawings again, because I love those. And I will, of course, be mentioning it on a later podcast as well as soon as it's out. This book has been a passion project for me, as I'm sure anyone who has listened to this podcast long term knows how passionate I am about the importance and particularly the technical applicability of theme. I'm very eager to share that with all of you very soon. In the meantime, I hope you enjoy this week's episode, the link between your story's first pinch point and second pinch point. Of all the paired structural beats in a story, the first pinch point and the second pinch point are perhaps the most obvious. There are only two of them, they have the same name, and they perform essentially the same function in both their first and second iteration. They're also perhaps the least known and most confusing of all the major turning points in classic story structure. So today we're continuing our series about chiastic structure, which refers to the idea of the second half of a story mirroring the first half. Although this effect can be created in more obvious and deliberate ways, it is always present within the actual structure of a story. In the first episode in this series, I talked about how it's sometimes more helpful to think of story structure not as an arc, but as a circle in which one half mirrors the other with the ending circling back upon the beginning. I started this series because I was asked to elaborate on the link between the inciting event and the climactic moment. And since then, we've also talked about the link between the hook and the resolution and the link between the first plot point and the third plot point. Although most of these links aren't immediately obvious, the pinch points are different. The pinch points are in many ways the identical twins in the family, occurring at the 3 8 and 6 8 marks, or halfway between the first plot point and midpoint, and halfway between the midpoint and third plot point, respectively. They are often thought of as comparatively minor beats. They're not plot points, after all, they're just pinch points, whatever that is. However, their timing alone tells us the pinch points bear an equal load with all the other major turning points in a story. In fact, along with the midpoint, 
they are the only major turning points entirely contained within the second act. This means, for one thing, that they are key factors in avoiding a sagging middle to your story. So how do they do this? Other than simply moving and turning the plot, the chief function of the pinch points is to reinforce the antagonistic force's presence and raise the stakes. They make the protagonist feel the quote-unquote pinch of the rising conflict. So structurally speaking, what is the first pinch point? The first pinch point occurs at approximately the 37% mark. This is halfway between the first plot point, which ended the first act at the 25% mark, and the midpoint at the 50% mark. Like all the other beats, its primary function is to turn the plot in some way. Something major happens that changes the conflict and the protagonist's approach to dealing with it. Specifically, both the first and second pinch points turn the plot in a way that emphasizes the antagonistic force's ability to create obstacles, thereby raising or emphasizing the stakes. There are many ways to do this, depending on the type of story you're writing. In an action story, or any story in which the protagonist and antagonist are obviously pitted against one another, it may be some sort of victory for the antagonist and defeat for the protagonist. In a romance, it may simply be an event that emphasizes the two leads' fears about their incompatibility. Or in a mystery, or any story in which the antagonist is off-screen, it is often a clue about what the antagonistic character has been plotting unbeknownst to the protagonist. In fact, the use of clues is inherent to both the pinch points, since these beats must also function to powerfully set up the major revelations that will occur at their subsequent beats. For the first pinch point, this subsequent beat is the midpoint, which includes the moment of truth, arguably the single most catalytic revelation in the protagonist's character arc, if not the plot as well. In the first half of the second act, the protagonist will still be in a reactive phase, or what screenwriter Matt Bird in his wonderful book, The Secrets of Story, refers to as trying the easy way. The midpoint will mark a major transition into the active phase, or doing things the hard way. But you can't just have the protagonist bumble along all through the first half, only to completely change his perspective and mode of action at the midpoint. You have to build up to it. And the first pinch point is critical for accomplishing this. The section of the story between the first plot point and the first pinch point is the reaction phase, in which the protagonist is behind the ball as she tries to adjust to the new paradigm in which she finds herself. Then, at the first pinch point new truths began to emerge. The section after the first pinch point leading up to the midpoint is then one of dawning realization. And the protagonist's big revelation at the midpoint is going to allow her to shift gears and move from reaction to action, from full-on immersion in her lie 
to a dawning understanding of the truth. The midpoint will clue her in about the methods that haven't been working up until now, which in turn will show her what else she can try that might work instead. The first pinch point foreshadows this revelation. Now, structurally speaking, what is the second pinch point? The second pinch point mirrors the first pinch point by occurring at approximately the 62% mark, halfway between the midpoint and the third plot point, which well began the third act at the 75% mark. Other than timing, there is little technical difference between the two pinch points. Like the first pinch point, the second pinch point is a turning point designed to emphasize the antagonistic force, raise the stakes, and foreshadow the next major revelation at the third plot point. As we discussed last week, the third plot point is the low moment within both the character arc and the plot. The moment of truth at the midpoint was when the protagonist first saw and accepted the power of the truth, but he did not yet give up on the lie he believes because he did not yet understand that the lie and the truth are mutually exclusive. The third plot point is where he will have to reckon with this incompatibility. The lie believing part of him must die. And if he is following a positive change arc, he must then be reborn in the truth. Usually this change at the third plot point is catalyzed within the plot via revelations about the external conflict. Just when the protagonist thinks he is about to win the day, he suffers his greatest or at least most symbolic defeat yet. Now this defeat could be literal or it could simply be a shattering revelation such as that the antagonist has a huge army and a foolproof plan for winning. Regardless, the second pinch point exists to set up this major revelation and lead into the third act. The section before the second pinch point is one of action in which the protagonist begins utilizing what she learned at the midpoint. But after the new clues of the second pinch point, the next section is one of a renewed push in which the protagonist uses seemingly advantageous clues and incentives to double down in her pursuit of her goals. This push, however, will lead her first to the reversal at the third plot point. Now, as you've seen, we can identify several similarities between your story's first pinch point and second pinch point. The first of these is important clues. So one of the most important structural jobs of the pinch points is to offer clues about both the plot conflict and the thematic philosophy. These clues will introduce plot-changing information. The protagonist may be told about something. For example, someone tells him a secret. Or he might witness something. For example, he finds another murder victim. Or he might be involved in a plot-changing event. For example, the antagonist launches a surprise attack. And as an example, consider the eternal sunshine of the spotless mind, in which the protagonist, who is undergoing treatment to erase memories after a painful breakup, experiences significant memories at both the pinch points. First, 
of his ex, Clementine, confronting him in a pinch from the antagonistic force of his own commitment issues, and then of being chased by the doctor who performs the treatment and who thereby embodies the antagonistic force. The second important similarity is foreshadowing. So in many ways, the previously mentioned clues are the foreshadowing, via which the pinch points set up their subsequent turning points at the midpoint and third plot point. But you can also use any standard form of foreshadowing to lay the groundwork for the major moments to follow. And this might take the form of the protagonist creating a plan which will be put in motion at the subsequent beats. Or it might be subtler and more symbolic, or it might even be foreshadowing in reverse by way of misdirection and irony. As an example of foreshadowing at the pinch points, consider the complex murder mystery Insomnia, in which both of the pinch points provide the protagonist with new insights into the murderer and his plans, neatly foreshadowing the subsequent beats. In the first pinch point, the protagonist receives a blackmail call from the murderer, which foreshadows the revelation of the murderer's identity at the midpoint. In the second pinch point, the protagonist is made party to the murderer's plan to frame someone else, which foreshadows the arrest of an innocent man at the third plot point. And the third important similarity is the antagonist check-in. The pinch points offer the opportunity to bring the antagonistic force to center stage if the plot warrants it. This doesn't always mean the antagonist must be physically present, since the pinch points can also check in on the antagonistic force simply by emphasizing a sense of his presence in some way. This could be via the revelation of clues, as previously mentioned, or in a story that doesn't personify its antagonist, but rather focuses on relational or inner conflicts, the antagonistic force might be emphasized merely by having the protagonist mull on her problems, or an off-screen antagonistic force might merely be mentioned in some important way by other characters. As an example of the antagonistic emphasis, consider Studio Ghibli's Howl's Moving Castle, in which the pinch points emphasize both the antagonism of the war and Howl's inner demons. The first pinch point follows up a scene in which the protagonist, Sophie, witnesses warships with a scene in which Howl has a meltdown revealing what he believes is his true cowardly nature. The second pinch point shows Howl returning from a fight with the enemy in which he took the shape of a bird and now, symbolically, is in danger of turning into that monstrous shape forever. And the fourth similarity is the emphasis of stakes. Via all of the previously mentioned things, the pinch points must function to emphasize and or raise the stakes. Whatever is at stake for the protagonist in the main conflict will come under fire at the subsequent beats of midpoint and third plot point. The pinch points offer the opportunity to remind the readers and the characters just what is on the line should the protagonist fail or mess up, which he inevitably will. For example, in John Ford's classic Western, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, both of the pinch points emphasize the titular antagonist's violence. 
And therefore, what is at stake for the protagonist, Rance Stoddard, if he persists in opposing Valance to ratify statehood for an unnamed Western territory? In the first pinch point, Valance is off screen, but Rance receives news that Valance is killing farmers who are voting in favor of statehood. In the second pinch point, Rance's friend and employer, the editor of the local newspaper, is savagely beaten by Valance and his cohorts. Now, here are four questions you can ask about your first pinch point and second pinch point. Question number one, how well the pinch points set up the major revelations at the moment of truth and the low moment. So first, you'll want to identify what major revelations will be unveiled at the midpoint and third plot point. And then think about how you can use your pinch points to set up those revelations. How can you lead into the big revelations with some smaller revelations? How can you plant clues, which the protagonist can follow like breadcrumbs right up to the big revelations? Question number two, how well the pinch points foreshadow the midpoint and the third plot point? If you plant clues at your pinch points, you're already foreshadowing the subsequent beats. But think about how you can deepen the effect. Beyond the revelations themselves, what else happens at the midpoint and third plot point that needs to be set up? The midpoint and third plot point are two of your major set piece scenes or sequences. As such, they usually require a little preparation whether you're going to be writing about a battle or a ball. Question number three, how can the antagonist be a presence at the pinch points? Whether your antagonistic force is someone standing in the way of your protagonist's goals, or a lack of trust between allies, or simply an inner weakness on your protagonist's part, consider how you can make the antagonistic force pertinent to the pinch points. This may be a good opportunity to bring the antagonist on stage or feature his POV if you've already introduced it, or you may simply want to reference the protagonist's relationship to the antagonist in some crucial way. And question number four, how can you use the pinch points to increase the stakes and or remind readers what is already at stake? Stories are built on stakes. If nothing were at stake for the protagonist, she wouldn't be on this journey. Those stakes should be present by implication in every scene. But the pinch points are the places to remind readers of exactly what the protagonist stands to lose in the conflict. Even better, since the pinch points are turning points, which must move the plot, Use them to raise the stakes in ways that foreshadow the coming confrontations at the midpoint and the third plot point. So next week, we'll examine how the midpoint acts as the pivot for all the partnered structural beats in the first and second half of the story. In the meantime, I hope you'll stop by the site and chime in on the discussion. How do your first pinch point and second pinch point serve to set up their subsequent beats in the plot. If you'd like to be part of the word player community on my site and join in the conversation on this subject, be sure to stop by the website at helpingwritersbecomeauthors.com. 
You can always find a transcript of the most recent podcast and add your voice to the discussion by visiting the first post on the site's homepage. And don't forget that if you're looking for an older post, you can always find those by putting the podcast title in the search field at the top of the right-hand column. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music, or whatever your favorite podcast platform may be. And if you'd like to support helping writers become authors, I would totally appreciate it if you'd consider taking the time to leave a quick rating or review on your site of choice. Thank you so much for listening to the Helping Writers Become Authors podcast, and be sure to check back again next week.